Hi guys, this is Jake Parker. Welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Fit podcast, where it's my job to help you apply knowledge that is both scientific and practical into your own life to maximize your physique development and your overall body, as well as your mind. The combination of these two things is what makes you Beyond Fit. Hi guys, this is Jake Parker. Welcome back to the Beyond Fit podcast. My guest today is Gareth Sapstead, and he is across the pond, as they say. He's in the UK. Um, he's someone that I initially found his work through T Nation, um, a website that he's written a lot for. And the thing that most drew me to wanting to have him on the podcast here today was that he talks a lot about something that's become a lot more of a focus for me over the past few years, and especially in thinking about how I want to design programs for my clients as I start my coaching business. And that is just a focus on, on, a, on the wider range. It just seems like some of the muscles and some of the um, body parts that we don't see and we don't think about as much that get undertrained, but more specifically, the, the back training, um, the posterior chain training versus the anterior chain. And so I think we're going to get kind of more into that and some of the specifics I'm kind of excited to dig into. But first of all, I just kind of like Gareth to introduce himself a little bit, talk a little bit about what you're currently up to, and just a little bit of introduction for anyone who has not uh, been familiar with any of your work. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having me on, Jake. Um, yeah, so my background really is actually originally as a, as a strength and conditioning coach. So I was originally trained as a strength and conditioning coach, worked with a lot of, lot of team sports, a lot of soccer players. Um, and rugby players um, so that was kind of my formal training background and, and education really um, and that's what I got my master's degree in but throughout that time I was working with um, I suppose your, your average you know, your, your average Joe kind of clients so your, your people that just kind of came to you and just wanted to you know look great naked and just just feel good and just you know be generally strong um, so at the same time as working with athletes I was working with that mainstream population and actually throughout the years ended up deciding I enjoyed training those types of people more than I did the, the elite athletes. You know, it was more interesting for me. There was more to work on, you know, that the higher the level of the athlete, to be honest, you're just there to get them through the season. You're just there to get them kind of, you know, staying injury free and, and feeling in tip top shape. Mm -hmm. Whereas those, those people kind of down that bottom end, they really have some big goals. They want to work towards, you know, towards achieving something when they want to work towards, whether it be, um, you know, running around with their grandkids to, I don't know, being on a, a bodybuilding stage, for example. So there's some, some big goals there that, that really kind of motivated me uh, to want to train them more. So throughout the last kind of 15 years or so of training people, I've gradually transitioned more into the, um, you know, into that, that mainstream population. And nowadays, over the last couple of years, most of that work is actually online. Um, I was the type of trainer that was kind of 50, 60, one-to-one -one sessions a week in the gym. Um, and then I basically ripped off the plaster, moved to Australia for a year, transitioned fully to online coaching within that time because that's what I kind of needed to do just to have that, mm -hmm. that stop. Um, came back to the UK a year and a half ago. Um, and now, as I said, I'm, I'm fully online now with the exception of just a couple of one-to-one -one clients a week just to kind of keep myself you know, fresh really and in the game and, you know, it's still enjoying that one-to-one -one work really. Mm. Um, so that's my, my background today. You know, a lot of my online clients, most of them actually are, are personal trainers themselves. Um, there's a few IFBB pros that I work with at the moment as well. 
um, and, and a few athletes as well. As I said, most of my job is, is and my day is geared around, you know, creating the best environment for, for them to get their results within, really. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's a bit about me. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about working with clients, what exactly does that look like versus just working with, like, what are some of the um, most most uh, drastic differences between working with a client and just working with someone who's just general pop and would like to be more fit and has these specific uh, aesthetic goals? Yeah, good question. So I get a bunch of different types of clients and that, and mm-hmm. that's the, that's kind of the interest for me. So I could have, um, you know, I could have a, an elite athlete in the off season who wants to work on one specific thing. For example, they want to work on, I don't know, their, their speed over five meters. So that's super interesting for me. And, you know, we, we really kind of narrow down on, on, on those goals. I could have someone who's looking to compete in 12 weeks time. And although I don't deal so much with the, the diet side of things in those last few weeks of prep, you know, I deal with that whole training side of things. And, you know, their training is very much geared towards that very specific end result. Someone who... Um, just wants to run around with their grandkids or um, I don't know, perform some, some barbell back squats without having a cranky knee or a cranky back or something. Mm -hmm. Again, they're working towards a very specific goal. So with each of these people, you're going to be probably giving them very different exercises. You're going to be different, giving them different, you know, different amounts of training volume. You, you know, with someone who's just got 12 weeks, you're going to be pushing that boat just a little bit more over those 12 weeks with someone who just wants to, you know, have better longevity and, and not have those cranky knees and cranky joints or whatever, then you're going to be looking at it from a more long-term approach. So mm-hmm. my thing really is largely actually down towards exercise selection and, and, and how much of that stimulus I'm throwing at that person. If we've got a very short amount of time and it's to get them on stage, then we're going to be to an extent forgetting about the longevity side of things because, you know, we've got, you know, they, they very much understand that, you know, there's a, there's a goal in 12 weeks time. If yeah. they're feeling absolutely messed up after that 12 weeks, you know, then it's no bother for them because they might have another, you know, eight months or whatever to recover from that. So mm-hmm. as I said, for me, the big thing is exercise selection and what you're going to be giving them. Um, but then also how you're coaching those exercises. So say you're elite athlete, you might be giving them more um, external coaching cues. So for example, um, drive the bar, you know, drive your feet into the floor, um, you know, punch your knee, punch your hip through, whatever, things like that. So they're very much focused on the external kind of force output. Whereas someone who, as I said, is trying to um, look a certain way, so that their primary goal is to build muscle, should we say, um, then we're going to be giving them more internal cues. So it could be more related to, I want you to feel it here. I want you to be pulling this joint to this joint and feeling it in between. You know, I want you to mm-hmm. feel your pecs squeeze at the end of that bench press, but I don't care how much you're lifting, you, you know, you're mm-hmm. doing that. So as I said, for me, it's exercise selection and then cues on those exercises. Yeah. The other thing that that brings up to me that I'm curious about, just like really because of my own journey right now, and I've only been a coach for about the last month and a half starting up this coaching business. And so it's been really fun. Like one of the things that I've run into is just kind of, and this is one of the things that I think people feel in in all different areas of life at different times, but just having that imposter syndrome. And what I mean specifically is like sometimes I'll find someone or I'll start coaching someone and they're already like really fit, 
you know, they already, they know what's going on. They have been working out for a long time. They're, they're fit. And I just kind of go, you know, there's kind of that self-talk that goes, okay, how much can I really help this person? You're like, what benefit am I, am I bringing them? How can I help them out? And so I'm curious how that process kind of looks like for you. Like, where do you see the value that you bring when you have someone who's competed in bodybuilding or you have someone who's already an elite athlete and how do you, um, understand where your where you can still bring very unique value yeah i think it all boils down to at the end of the day your scope of practice and what you actually have experience in so as i said i'm very happy to train elite physique competitors but mm -hmm. i'm not as comfortable training them in those last few weeks prior where my skill set doesn't lie i don't know so much about for example those last two weeks of prep um, for competition because i've not been there myself I've not tried to, for example, um, you know, manipulate carbohydrates and water, et cetera, um, and not been in that position psychologically um, to kind of give my experience to that person. I can train them through that, but I can't give, you know, I can't give the, the advice they might want within those few weeks. And that's where someone like a, like a prep coach, you know, a bodybuilding prep coach would probably come into things. Um, the same with it might be um, an elite soccer player, for example. So my skill set is developing, for example, force and power output, which will translate into their sprint speed. But then where does that line cross between what I'm trying to do and then the, the actual the football coach themselves trying to do, you know? So it's always trying to find where your, you know, where your kind of your scope of practice fits within. Um, and just being very very aware of that and making sure that you're not kind of stepping outside of that or if mm -hmm. you do step outside of that maybe get the advice of someone else that's been there before you know I'm, I'm i'm i've got no problems asking someone to to help with a client if their expertise fit that fit that skill set a little bit better um you know for example i you know there's there's one person i train at the moment who is an ifbb pro and she uh, has a nutrition coach dealing with her at the same time as I deal with her training. So again, it, it kind of makes things a little bit easier for me with someone that understands that side of things a little bit more than what I do. Um, so, you know, and, and, and it, as I said, it comes down to experience. So mm -hmm. um, you might have imposter syndrome when you're training that 50 year old guy that's, I don't know, got a few kids, every joint in the world's cranky, he can't, he can't bend over and touch his toes without his back hurting. He can't squat down with his own body weight without his knees hurting. And if you're someone that's 18 years old, you're super healthy, you've never had any pain in your life, then you're probably not going to relate to that. But then you could read up on that stuff. And that's where kind of that experience comes in of having that client come to you with those problems. And then, you know, taking that time and yourself to research into that a little bit more. Or if you've had those issues yourself, you're going to be understanding those things a little bit more anyway. I'm mm -hmm. someone that has had some cranky knees, some cranky shoulders, just from, you know, just from a rugby playing background. So I was lucky when those clients approached me fairly early on, I kind of had a little bit of an insight as to, to what they were kind of dealing with. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, as I said, it's, it's, it's about just understanding what your skill set is and what your skill set isn't and just mm -hmm. staying within, within that line. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I've, that I've tried to come to understand more and the advice that I always get that, and I love to just hear it repeated because it, it sorts of, sort of, um, I don't know, sticks even more. So every time is just when people talk about what's the result you're getting, 
what's the what's the end result that you're looking for and what's the end result that you're taking these people towards because for me especially and maybe you maybe you resonate with this maybe you don't as much because you've worked for yourself for a long time but like transitioning from like being in college and having jobs and being like you know you go and put in your hours and you get paid versus working with coaching clients they don't necessarily care if you spend half hour on them a week or 10 hours on them a week if you can get them a good result and so trying to focus on okay, it's not, it's not, I don't have to drive myself crazy with doing all these different things and trying to give them the maximal amount of input. It's just about the output and about the results we're trying to drive in the end. Yeah, couldn't agree more. As I said, look, if you, if you can, if you can get the same results out of a client, seeing them twice a week as you might do four times a week, A, you're saving them some cash and, and B, you're saving them some time. So mm. that's, a, that's a massive win in their eyes. They don't really care as long as you get then the results that they're kind of asking for. And as long as you've got the, you know, the, um, the trust in yourself that you know what, you know what that journey should look like for them, and then you can implement that, then you should have all the confidence in the world to, you know, to be training that client. And then another thing that I find really interesting is, and I'm curious more so for you about like more elite level athletes and physique competitors, do you tend to kind of run into the thing? Like one of the issues that I, I seem to have with clients is like they, they want to improve and I go and we talk about what kind of goals they want to set and where they want to improve. And they're like, well, I'd like to get stronger. I'd like to get more lean. I'd like to get more muscle. I'd like to get faster. You know, I'd like this, this, and this. And it's like, okay, we can do one or two of those things. But if you focus on four different things at once, you're going to get nowhere. So do, you know, go in more towards like, again, the elite level athletes or physique competitors, are they, are they better a lot of times about having one specific goal that they want to focus on, or you still have to kind of temper them and rein them in at times? Yeah, it's, it's kind of, t- I prefer that, that, that sniper approach instead of taking mm. that shotgun approach. So, you know, it might be, actually, I probably find it the other way around. So your, your general population client might have a, a massive list of wants. I want to improve this. I want to firm this up. I want to lose this and give you this long list of things. And then you've got to, as I say, take that shotgun approach and be like, okay, what's the, what's the one thing that will, you know, that we can improve that might affect everything else. And that's what we aim for. You know, what's, what's the low hanging fruit really that's going to have that biggest impact with someone who's at more the elite level it tends to either come so for example from the elite athlete it's my coach tells me i need to do this so it might be my coach tells me i need to get quicker uh, right okay so what do you need how do you need to get quicker oh or did, i don't know he just says i need to get quicker okay let's do some tests let's test you over i don't know five yards 20 yards and 50 yards and then let's do some change of direction tests as well and then let's see which one you're weakest at and then now let's improve that one okay so we can either improve your acceleration you know from from a a dead stop to you know to your change of direction to your your rolling starts whatever we can improve that when it comes to someone who's for example a, a physique competitor it's again it's a similar thing it's um my last show went like this the judges said i need to improve this so you know again there's someone who just listens to to what the input is and then it's my job to be like okay well i've got to listen to that i've got to listen to you know what what an elite judge has has kind of told this person to do we've got to work on this if you want um you know if you want to build up your hamstrings because in the last contest you you know you're um 
the judge says those were a weakness and you, I don't know, your glute hamstring tie-in was the thing that was letting you down, then we've got to work on that. There's, you know, there's, there's no arguing on my end. Um, and I can't really give much of my input and say, well, actually, I, I think this needs to improve instead. Because again, who she's being judged by is, is, is the only opinion that matters. And same with the elite you know, soccer player, for example. The only opinion that matters is, is, is their coach's opinion. So as I said, it, it's kind of um, the, the, the more elite, actually, the, the less things they, they want to and need to work on, but also the hardest um, to, to work on as well. That's what's difficult too, is like when you, when you reach a certain level where you're obviously getting close to maximizing your potential, but yet you can still make, you know, a percentage or even a percentage of a percentage gain over the course of a year is big. And so just trying to wrap your head around that long-term mindset is kind of hard, especially in the world we live in where it seems like things are so ephemeral and immediate when you look at progress at the elite level, it's, it's totally the opposite. And you have to just do things over and over and over and work on the tiniest details to improve. Absolutely. And sometimes the best thing you can do for someone at the elite level is just do what they're not used to doing. Mm -hmm. So for example, if the, um, if, and I'll keep going back to it, soccer players, it's just a good example of a, of, of a field sport. But if you look at the elite soccer player and all they've been doing is spin agility drills on the field using hurdle ladder drills plyometrics etc then actually that type of stuff there they've probably taken that as far as they can go what's going to have the biggest impact on this on their acceleration and maximum speed is probably actually spending more time in the weights room it's probably developing their force output by doing some things like some heavy squats and things like that rather than actually the, the spin agility drills that they've been hammering over and over and over and over again so as i said it's taking them to to areas where they're, they're least comfortable in and, and weakest in, but those actually are the areas that are probably going to improve uh, th then the most. Um, you know, same with say an elite physique competitor. Um, if they've been absolutely hammering uh, one area of their body for a long time, well, you come to me and you say, I want to improve that area. Well, actually, let's try, a, let's try a low volume approach for that area. You've already been hammering it for a long time. Let's actually maybe work on something else for a while and actually give that a rest and just see what happens. And, mm -hmm. you know, nine times out of 10, actually, just because that area is getting less volume and it's getting more time to recover, it actually responds quite quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite principles for just like the average gym goer, and it's something that I've really seen um, give really good results in my own life is just people will argue about um, the the concept of like, well, what rep range is going to grow the most muscle? Is it four to six? Is it eight to 12? Is it, you know, 12 to 15? And a really interesting concept is like, you go, okay, well, what have you not done in a number of months or a number of years? And if someone's like, oh, I've been really pounding these low reps, trying to get a heavier squat, heavier bench, or like, I've really been pounding these high, hypertrophy 12 plus. I'm like, okay, do the complete opposite. And this new stimulus is going to be the best thing for you to gain muscle right now, because it's so novel. And it's like, I remember, I always talk about like the bro science sort of stuff on this podcast as like something that held me back a lot when I was younger. And one of the best examples of that is like, you'd always hear guys say, and like, I think Arnold was famous for saying it, like you got to shock the muscle. And I think that's untrue on a micro level, on a micro level in a period of one or two or three months, you want to stick to the same consistent things. But I think on a little bit more macro level, it actually does make sense to quote unquote, shock the muscle where 
I'm going these high hypertrophy ranges for a while, and then I'm going to go a lot lower and try to improve my strength because you're working on these different methodologies of improvement to just introduce that, that new stimulus. That's it. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. So what you tend to find happen is that let's say someone um, pretty early on adopts a, I don't know, a heavy low rep range approach to build muscle. Let's say they really like working around that kind of five, six set, you know, five, six rep range. Let's say they start doing some five times five kind of training. And then they think that produces, you know, great results initially. They see some good gains. They see some good strength gains at the same time. And then suddenly in their head, oh, five fives, absolutely brilliant for me. I had a lot of mass with it. And then they keep on with that route. So mm-hmm. in their head, they're thinking, you know, five fives, brilliant. Maybe also I'm very kind of fast twitch dominant, which means I respond really well to that lower rep range. So that's the way I'm going to keep on training. And then what happens after a certain period of time is that their progress stalls. Now, instead of thinking, now, what can I do that's different? They end up just doing the exact same thing and trying to push through that, let's say that five, five method, or they might, you know, they might try eight sets of three or, or, or whatever. Instead, some of the best things that they can do is maybe just try a couple of sets, of 20 reps, you know, try a really kind of metabolic stress focused method. And actually what they'll find again, nine times out of 10 is that their body will start responding again. Maybe you do that for four weeks, six weeks, whatever, and you come back to your, your, your heavier, higher intensity approach if you want to. But, you know, don't, don't always be fixated on one rep range to achieve one thing. We know from research that you can grow muscle, you know, at five, six reps, and you can also grow muscle at 30 reps. So, you know, I don't know why everyone's still sticking with that eight to 12 rep range. <laughs> you know, you need to kind of, you know, expand that, that mindset a little bit, really. Mm-hmm. And it's always about more than just what the textbook tells you. So I'm sure that you've seen yourself, like, obviously, you have a lot of academic experience, but you also the first thing you talked about was the benefit of your one on one experience with people. And I think that it's so important to realize that it's I don't think if, if you're going to talk about you really being well rounded and knowledgeable, you have to pull from both the experience side and the scientific side. Because for me, I've learned so many things through, oh, this is exactly what this study says, and this is X and Y variable. But I've also learned a lot through like, I like to think about um, working out in the context of like the 70s and 80s era uh, bodybuilders a lot, because everything was just like, we did a little bit of this, we did a little bit of that, it was like all anecdotes. And I think that Mm. combining those together is so interesting, because that's where you really, oh, this is what they meant when they said this, but they just didn't really know how to like quantify it with data. Yeah, there's so many things from the 70s and 80s, that the more you think about it, the more they're actually true. Mm-hmm. So one of the things recently actually that, that's coming out amongst coaches is just talking about what we just used to call the mind muscle connection. More mm-hmm. coaches are talking about feeling the muscle working rather than, you know, talking about say force and power output and, and how much you're lifting at the moment. So there's more coaches talking about, you know, properly aligning joints so you can maximally stimulate certain areas of your body, which we're basically talking about creating that mind muscle connection, you know, um you all we're talking about is kind of putting load across tissues in a certain direction but Mm -hmm. back in the 70s 80s they just referred to it as as, as having a good mind muscle connection and actually feeling feeling the muscle working Mm -hmm. finding the exercises that allowed you to feel those muscles working in the in the 70s we were doing squats i say we you know you and i aren't old enough to be in the 70s but (laughs) 
<laughs> but they were doing hills elevated back squats. So they were doing hills elevated back squats because it worked their quads um, and they could squat deeper. In the 90s, our hills elevated squats were really bad because they're not functional and you should be able to squat with your hills on the floor. Well, mm -hmm. back now, everyone's heel elevated back squats because obviously you get more quadriceps dominance and you build you know, bigger quads without needing as much weight. So things have that weird way of just coming back around and kind of repeating themselves. And, you know, we're using things nowadays that, that, that we knew back then. I think the problem is you get a lot of people talking about things in terms of black and white, good or bad. Whereas the reality is context is key. So heels elevated back squat. Now, as I say, it's absolutely brilliant for building your quads, but is it great for an athlete? Well, that's a completely different story. So when you have coaches out there arguing, should we do, be doing heels elevated back squats or should we be, um, you know, a recent one, for example, Joel Seedman created, you know, set the internet on fire and said, you should only be squatting to 90 degrees maximum, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, is, is that better for this person or that person? So context is, is always key and there's no one best exercise or best range of motion for everyone. As I said, yeah. things have this weird way of coming back around from, from the seventies and kind of repeating themselves in mm -hmm. more scientific terms nowadays. Yeah. And then also when you talk about like what's optimal, what's perfect, well, in a perfect world, we would not only be able to work on our strength and, and muscular hypertrophy, but we'd be able to work on our mobility and people would have really mobile ankles and they wouldn't need that heel elevation. But in a perfect world, people just, people have jobs and they have lives and they have families and they don't have enough time to focus on everything. So a heels elevated squat is good for the 90 five plus percent of people that don't have great ankle mobility and so it's always just dependent on you know what it's real life has to fit in with exercise it's not it's not the opposite way around for 99 percent of people absolutely you've always got to find the exercise that that, that fits the person and, instead of the other way around you know if you're a powerlifting coach then you want every client to be able to barbell back squat barbell deadlift and barbell bench mm -hmm. press <laughs> if you're a bodybuilding coach you know you're going to be training different people in different ways whereas the reality is if you've got enough experience with enough of you know the real world population then you'll understand that there is no one way to to do things there's, there's multiple ways to do things and and i hate to use the term but you know people can ask people can ask a question and as a coach most of the time your answer is always it depends right, you know, it's, right. it's the most annoying answer you could possibly give but you know you're not it's both the honest know answer it's, you know it's the it's the honest answer because it always depends so speaking of like from your own experience, something that I've noticed most in the last few years and really transforming my training when I, when I look at my own experience, which again, was just kind of this misinformed bro science kind of approach towards bodybuilding. You notice that most people are just focused on the type of muscles that you see in the mirror. They're focused on doing a lot of abs, doing a lot of biceps and chest. And one of the more important things that I try to get my clients to focus on is like for longevity and for the overall health of your body, because the ultimate goal shouldn't just be, and again, we talked about long-term gratification. It's hard to wrap your mind around this focus, but you should think 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years down the road, you want to be healthy long-term. So how do you get people to focus? And again, kind of transitioning into like the whole focus on, I think something I mentioned to you is like, I generally try to think twice as many pulling movements as pushing to really strengthen that yeah. back. So how do you get people to focus on um, the longevity and functional aspect of training? but also getting enough like buy-in, if you, if you understand what I mean. 
It's hard, yeah, because as you said, it is trying to get that buy-in because everyone mm-hmm. cares about what they can see in the mirror and they care less about the stuff they, they, they don't see in the mirror. Luckily, you know, through, through um, you know, coaches like Breck Contreras, for example, glutes training has become more mm-hmm. popular. So at least we care about some things that we see, you know, see, see behind us. Um, and exercises like band pull-aparts and things like that have become more popular as we talk about um, sitting at desks during the daytime and, and, and things like that. So it's really hard to kind of get, get that buy-in, but luckily people are a little bit more educated nowadays and do understand the, the importance of that. One of the things I always go to is, well, you know, it's great. We can get you looking great after 12 weeks, but how about looking great next year and the year after mm-hmm. and the year after? Well, if we're kind of, if we're hammering all the anterior stuff all the anterior dominant stuff, well, you might look all right, but your shoulders will feel like junk. Your back will feel like junk. So, you know, from the get-go, it's important that we build up those solid foundations so that in a year or two's time, you're going to be looking great. And in 10 years' time, you, you, you're still going to be looking great. So, as I said, it's about kind of education. Um, but I think nowadays, especially, people are a little bit more, a little bit more savvy about that kind of things and, and don't really want to want to beat up their body um, but as you say you know back training is is, is a massively important one and, and telling people just some some simple things like okay why not try training your back twice as much as you as, as you train your chest automatically it kind of clicks with them and it's just it's an immediate thing they can kind of start doing you know during the daytime we're we're a lot more um, so we're a lot more anterior dominant. We're we're sat on our computers. We're sat watching the TV more. Right. We're sat on our phones. We're sat on our phones, and then we're also sat on our phones. So you know, it, <laughs> it's one of those things where everything is kind of shoulders humped mm-hmm. forward, driving. You know, dry exactly. There's another one driving. You know, our pecs can get a little bit short and a little bit tight. So you know, we need to be doing things that kind of just pull our shoulder blades back. One of the biggest things that I always try and remind people is that your muscles can only pull. That's all they do. Okay. And they, they, they can pull in one direction, depending on obviously what their, where their origin and insertion is. So if you've got muscles that are pulling you in and down, so your, your pecs have become a lot more tight, well, they need to be pulling in the opposite mm. direction. And especially with how kind of complex your shoulder is, you actually need to be rowing and 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 things like that and doing a lot more external rotation stuff um, and adding a lot more variety to those than you will do your your anterior stuff as well so not only more volume but also more variety within the direction that you that you're doing your your rows and and even then it's not just a case of doing more back work because you and i both know that your your lats aren't necessarily going to help with that either because your lats are an internal rotator and will add to that, you know, that gorilla posture and pulling your shoulders forwards. So it's not just a case of doing some bench press and some lat pull downs for twice the amount because those lat pull downs have, you know, have, have helped, you know, pull my shoulder blades back. You need to be doing a lot more kind of rowing based movements as well with that, which will actually help retract your shoulder blades, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and combat, for example, bench pressing.
Yeah. And just on the most base level, like when you think, okay, what does a row work versus what does a, a bench press work? You have a bench press that's mostly chest and anterior delts and triceps, whereas a row, it, well, depending on how you do it, and again, this is something that it can change a lot, but there's lats, there's traps, there's rhomboids, there's rear delts, like there's so many more muscles in the back that are all mm. working together. And so it's just, if I think if you ever were to fight resistance from someone who was like, well, why don't I just do, it's, it's chest as a body part, back as a body part. Yeah, at a very black and white basis, it is. But there's so much more going on in the back than there is um, um, on your on just your chest. Yeah, absolutely. And one simple rule I like to follow. So some people can over overcomplicate things and, and and provide certain angles, and certain angles work certain areas of your back. But one easy way to remember it is whatever line of pull that your elbow is in, or whatever kind of direction that your elbow is pointing in tends to be the area of your back that's actually working the most so for example uh, let's say we do a let's say we talk about rows okay mm -hmm. so let's say we row with an underhand grip automatically what happens when we row with an underhand grip our elbows are going to be more tucked so they're more tucked and they're more back so that means that our lats are, are more likely to be activated because of that line of pull of where our, our, our basically of where our elbows are pointing towards if instead we decided to do like a very flared kind of elbow style of row well my elbows are more in line with kind of my, my rhomboids and my upper back so it's going to be working that area a little bit more and then anything in between again it's in line with whatever part of my back is going to be working so that's one easy way to kind of remember things instead of you know having a list of exercises in your head and this works this this works this this works this well you know you can have you know, just by understanding those, those few basic things of, of, you know, how a row works your back in according to where your elbow is pointing, you know, you, you can kind of do anything with that that you want to. And obviously, you know, as soon as you bring your elbow up, up, above your shoulder, then you're going to be isolating more into external rotation, hitting that infraspinatus, you know, your, your face pulls and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, manipulating elbow position can, can, can change the area of your back that you're targeting. Yeah, and just one more thing that I like to talk about for, I guess, you know, the person out there who's still not sold, who's like, well, I want to get a big chest, you know, I want to work on pushing, benching more, whatever. The, the other interesting thing I like to talk about with people is like, you know, nothing is ever as simple as the more you can lift, the better you're going to look. I like to talk about posture. And like one of the big reasons I focus on the back training and also one of the big reasons why I like to do yoga is because I just feel like, and this is another thing like on the far anecdotal side, but I would just say that you just seem to wear your muscle better. If you are very upright and you have that proper posture, if you ever look at like, again, those seventies, eighties era bodybuilders, their posture was just supreme. Like they were always just standing upright and their shoulders drawn back and it just makes you look just so much better as opposed to someone who might be really strong and muscular that they're all kind of like you talked about hunched over. It's not going to look very aesthetically appealing. And at the end of the day for 90% of the people, at least that I talk to and work with, what are we working out for? Yes. It's nice to be functional and to be strong and all this stuff, but a big part of it is always just going to be, we want to look good. Of course we want to look good. And so let's think about that too. Yeah. Uh, I think it was coach Charles Poliquin who coined the phrase structural balance years ago and, and he referred to structural balance as basically meaning you know you, you've got an equal pull on one side of the joint than you do on the other so for example let's say you 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 try and create a structural balance between as simple as you, your chest and your your mid traps so if that structural balance was off so let's say my chest was a lot stronger 
than, 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 than my mid trap. So let's say uh, my ability to protract my shoulder blades was, was, was a lot better, a lot, you know, I can create a lot more force going that way than I could to retract my shoulder blades. Then actually your body's pretty clever and will probably say, well, because you can produce more force in that direction than you can in that direction, well, your structural balance is off, which means I'm not going to let you add more mass to my to your chest, for example. Because if I add more mass to your chest and I add more more force capacity to scapular protraction, then actually I'm going to be creating an environment where I might get an injury. So actually, you know, let's boil it down to this: if you work your back more, actually your chest might get bigger because mm -hmm. you know your chest might be stubborn because it just doesn't want to get bigger because your back is weak. And it's the same with your rotator cuff. If you want a stronger bench press, well, do more face pulls and external rotator stuff because your bench press isn't going to improve unless, you know, you've got the accelerator. The accelerator's great and you can bench press as much as you want off your chest, but your brakes are, are pretty shoddy. So as soon mm -hmm. as you improve your brakes, then you, you're going to improve your performance. Yeah, and you need that full body stabilization and support too for all these lifts that you're 100%. doing. 100%. You need to have equal structural balance around those joints so there's an equal force being pulled in, in multiple directions. And, you know, your shoulder is a ball and socket joint. You know, it's pretty complex. There's all different things pulling in different directions. And if, if, if it's being pulled in one direction more than the other, then you've got an injury or, or, or something um, down the line waiting to happen. Yeah, and I think another place where this is evidenced is like, you know, when you talk about someone who just strictly maybe is a power lifter and wants to improve their squat, a lot of times people don't realize how much back goes into that too and just stabilizing the bar if you really want to move these heavy, heavy squat loads. And so you would think, oh, it's just all legs, it's all quads, it's all, you know, strengthening these parts of the legs. But really, you have to have full body strength to some extent just to be stabilized and to be able, it's, it's funny because in the, in the context of weightlifting and bodybuilding, we always talk about chest day, we talk about back day, arm day, but you never can 100% isolate one single body part. You know, when you're doing bicep curls, standing up, your core is engaged, your back is engaged a little bit. You know, it's, it's, it's never just strictly, oh, I'm going to work this one single body part. It's always full body to, to some extent. Yeah, definitely. And that's why, you know, the bro splits, you know, chest, back, legs, shoulders, arms, or whatever you want to think of a bloke, bro split, they can have a place. Um, I rarely throw them in between a phase, um, just if I want to create more of a connection with a certain muscle. So I might do, say, a high, a high volume, a high frequency chest phase. So it might be three chest focused workouts each week. So it's not a typical bro split, but it's kind of slightly off a bro split. But I will 90% of the time, I'll either use like a push pull lower training split or like an upper lower training split, maybe an upper lower with like a beach day at the end of the week, you know, some a little bit of guns, a little bit of triceps at the end of the week. Um, but yeah, as I said, couldn't agree more. You can't solely isolate certain areas. And especially with your typical bro split, if you think about it, chest on Mondays, for example, where you're very anterior dominant. Back, okay, you're pulling more. Legs, we're only training legs one day a week, which some people do need more frequency than that. So automatically we're training uh, upper body a lot more than lower body anyway. Um, and then we're doing, for example, shoulders and arms. Now shoulders and arms session, whether they're two separate sessions or you're doing both of those in one session, I, they're probably gonna be more anterior dominant as well. You're going to be smashing shoulders a lot more. You're going to be doing a lot more pressing than you will be doing, for example, face pulls and reverse flies, which are more, more, more posterior dominant as well. So you're just reinforcing those bad habits. 
And when you're, you know, like we are nowadays, we're sat at a desk, we're driving a car, um, we're on our phones, and we're doing that very anteriorly dominated stuff during the day, where it's not going to be doing us the best if most of the week we're then hitting the gym and reinforcing that with even more anterior stuff. We need to be doing a lot more, a lot more pulling work just to compensate for, you know, for, for nowadays, for how we do live. So as far as like what this would look like specifically, obviously different people having different goals, it's going to look a lot different for, for everyone, but do you have three or four favorite pulling exercises and then three or four different um, split focuses where like frequently, kind of like you said, you know, is it more full body? Is it more push pull legs? Is it more anterior versus posterior? And then like, what are a few exercises that generally speaking, you would try to include in most people's programs as far as pulling? Yeah, uh, when most people see me for the first time, it's, I don't, let's say I don't really know someone at all. We've mm-hmm. obviously gone through a consultation, we've gone through a bit of an assessment, but then the best asset, assessment for me is always their first training phase. And that's no more true than when you're uh, online coaching as well, because obviously you can't see so much in person. So that first training phase is always the best assessment and it allows you to, to better understand that person. One of the things that I like to incorporate with, with, with most people is some kind of like inverted row. So, or, or you might call them a fat man pull up. Um, so again, a horizontal pulling motion because a it's working that horizontal pulling pattern. Um, B, you know, we're hitting our, we're hitting our mid traps, we're hitting our rhomboids and, and see, I can see what they're doing. I can see how strong they are relative to their own body weight. Mm-hmm. I can see uh, what their, what their core engagement's like. I can see how their entire posterior chain is kind of working with each other and, and I can see what they do. Um, so whether you might be a, uh, an elite bodybuilder or a, um, I don't know, or someone that's just, just come out of, um, just had a baby a few months ago or something, I'm probably gonna be throwing an inverted row at you just to have a look at it whether we mm-hmm. continue with it or not that that's another question but i do like those even if you want to continue with it um you know i do like to include them from from time to time it's one of those exercises where myself i won't do them every week but i will just throw them in there you know as a bit of a finisher when i want to so that's one of the, the go-tos um it's not a I suppose a stimulation exercise per se, but something you can do really regularly are just some band pull-aparts. So if you can warm up with some band pull-aparts, really focus on putting your shoulder blades together, keeping some tension in that band, and just practicing pulling your shoulder blades back and back and together, then that's going to create a really good connection with that back. So then later in that workout, you you know, even when you bench press and you're 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 getting that set up a lot better. When you're doing some rows, you're able to kind of recreate that feeling that you had by doing those pull-aparts and feel, you know, feel your scapulas retract, feel all those muscles working how they actually should. So they're they're a big one for me as like a you know quote unquote activation kind of exercise or a pre fatigue so, kind of exercise. Sorry. So what exactly is the goal for like a band pull-apart? Because I feel like I've heard it talked about like partly in the bodybuilding space as something to activate kind of rear delts, but that's quite a different pattern, right? If you're looking at rear delts versus just the focus that you're kind of talking about, just practicing that scapular attraction motion almost is what it's for. Yeah. There's multiple ways you can do them. So you, and and again, it depends on how you want to focus the exercise in terms of, do you want your shoulder blades to be moving or do you want to purely focus on, 
um, on that kind of that horizontal abduction um, mm -hmm. and get your posterior delts firing. And, um, and it, as I said, it depends on how you do them. So if you want to be firing up your posterior delts and there's a bit of a, a finisher to hit those, then you're going to be thinking about really creating like a really wide arcing motion with them and you're not going to be fussed about what your shoulder blades are doing. So most of that work is being done by your posterior delts um, and you're creating a really long lever arm, making it really hard for your posterior delts to do that. If you're trying to do it, which most people should be doing it for, um, not to say doing it for your rear delts is wrong, it's, it's an option and you can do it for that, but as a postural exercise and as a quote-unquote activation exercise, then you want to be doing it where there's a focus on pinching your shoulder blades together yeah. in the middle. So, as I said, there's a couple of different ways you can do them. You can change the angle as well. You can do the more of a, uh, you know, start with them over your head and pull them slightly more down. You can start with the band more hip height and come upwards. And again, all we're doing is just changing the direction that your scapulas are coming in. So if your scapula are kind of um, upwardly rotating because you've got that band in front of your hip, then you're going to be automatically activating your, your, your upper traps a little bit more. I say the term activation in, in, in quote marks because there really is no such thing as activation. By doing it, you're not increasing activation of that area. You're just activating that area and just um, kind of recruiting that muscle, which means that later in the workout, it just enables you to find that muscle a little mm -hmm. bit better. There's, there's no magic working. You know, you, you, for example, your glutes weren't working at only 20% capacity and then suddenly we did some band glute walks and now they're working at 80% capacity there's, there's no such thing as that um, as, as far as that's concerned that's kind of a, a different area of, of study and, and something else you do to, to accomplish that so there's really no such thing as activation you can think about it as as pre-fatigue or uh, in, in improving awareness um, of, of that muscle but band pull aparts is something that we can all we can all access we can all do daily almost um and almost as i say just combat that that posture that we're in a lot of the time so that's really good as an activation exercise um apart from that as i said you know any kind of bent over row variation normally a single arm with a with a dumbbell and just focusing on just creating that 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 nice arcing motion um that would probably be another another go-to as well, actually, as far as pull, actual you know stimulation-based pulling movements. And whether that's trying to build muscle or get stronger or whatever, I'd probably pick those three. Yeah, it's it's crazy because back has to be like the best example of an exercise is so much more than meets the eye. Like, what are you thinking about? Again, like that pre-fatigue. Like, what are you focusing on? Like, a good example I've heard before is like when someone you know, does pull-ups, you can really focus on activating the lats during a pull-up, you know, you can switch the grip a lot and get different parts of the back activated. You can even make it more so, I guess it's more so a chin-up, but you can get a lot of biceps with, with mm. certain different angles. And it's just interesting how, you know, you think that you understand an exercise just from seeing it. You think you understand what someone's doing, but it might be completely invisible to the naked eye, but what they're thinking and what they're focusing on internally can make it just something totally different than what it looks like. 100% and that's what obviously previously mentioned in terms of what's the what's you know what's the thought process what's the focus is it more of an internal focus so for example let's say we we, we talk about a chin up is my um in you know is my goal to to build uh, build my lats and biceps well 
my internal focus should be on stim, you know, working and feeling my biceps as, you know, as hard as I possibly can and feeling that stretch at the bottom as, 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 as much as I can. Whereas if my goal is to use uh, chin-ups for more of a, a performance enhancer, well, it's probably going to be more focused on how much weight I'm lifting or how fast I can explode to the top. So, you know, you, you're going to get different outcomes from that same exercise, just depending on what, what part of it you're, you're focusing on. Obviously, if you're focusing on that, the, the muscle connection and creating maximal tension, you're actually not going to be able to lift as much weight. So you're actually able to accomplish, um, you know, you're going to build more muscle without actually having to need as, as much weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the most common thing I tell people, and again, it's just like usually like the general gym goer, but I'm like, if it's a squat, bench, deadlift, sort of heavy compound movement, focus more on the technicality and just getting a good lift and getting, you know, heavy weight. And again, you know, not going crazy with it, but really just focusing on, okay, can I get a good technical lift? Whereas if you're doing something more, more compound, like my, my, or sorry, isolation, which is commonly for me, I like lateral raises, a little bit of biceps and triceps, stuff like that. You do want to focus more on the mind muscle connection. Like with a bicep, you don't just want to see how much you can lift. You really want to see how hard you can really squeeze that bicep at the top and get that nice, good stretch at the bottom. Whereas if you're doing a deadlift, it's near impossible to go, okay, I'm really going to think about my you know, my X part of my back while doing this deadlift. No, you're just trying to rip it up and get it off the floor in a, in a safe manner. Yeah. And that's a really good approach that, that, you know, that, that someone can understand, um, that can give you kind of the best of both worlds, really. You know, if someone wants to, every guy wants a bigger bench press, you know? Um, so the reality is that people aren't going to be bench pressing, uh, and having that focus of feeling their pecs squeeze as hard as they possibly can at the top of each rep. They just want to be lifting the most weight. They're going to be set up as though they're, they're, they're power lifted. They're going to be arching their backs. Um, you know, they're going to be retracting and depressing their shoulder blades, spreading bar apart, et cetera, et cetera, and driving that bar off, the, off their chest as, as hard as they can. So, you know, try telling someone who wants a bigger bench press, well, maybe lighten the weight up a little bit and, and squeeze yeah. the, pecs at the pecs at the top. It's not going, it's not going to happen. But, you know, if, if that person, um, if the goal of that person was, for example, at a bigger bench press, then I would say, okay, fine. You can approach things like that with that external focus. I've been there. I do that sometimes as well. It depends on, on my own goals. But then, you know, train your chest like a power lifter, but then train your back like you're a bodybuilder. You know, get more volume in your back. Really squeeze your back. Feel it work. You know, get that massive connection. Don't treat your back as though it's as though it's your bench press. Or maybe as well, you you just bench press with more of that external focus, and then all of your incline work, for example, is more focusing on the squeeze. More of your work with your shoulders is more, you know, focused on trying to feel that in your shoulders rather than actually, you know, cranky joints and lifting as much as you possibly can. So I think bench press like a power lifter and and pull row like a like a bodybuilder is a great concept for someone that wants a big bench press, but you know they they want to look great naked as well. Mm -hmm. um, well, as we wind down here, the one thing I was still curious about for you to expand a little bit more on is like why exactly do you talk about um, more horizontal pulling versus vertical? I know you kind of touched on the fact that um, the last can kind of lead to a, a little more um, internal rotation, but why is that such a focus for you as well in the context of all this? Yeah, so so as you say, that that is the main point, really. So most people's go-to when you say, okay, you've got to pull more than you push, is automatically going to be a pull down. You know, that, that, that there's no, you know, that, there's no two holes about it. Most people are going to be thinking, okay, I'll just do more lap pull downs, 
Or if I want to be a little bit more functional, I'll be doing some chill up, chin ups or pull ups. Their automatic focus isn't about um, doing some bent over rows, some three point rows or some seated cable rows or something like that. Um, so when they're doing that, and it's a, it's a broad term, but when they're doing those vertical pulls, they're more likely to be activating their lats, which do act as internal rotators. So therefore, or you know, internal rotators of, of, of your humerus. So they are going to be reinforcing that, that bad anterior dominance. And that's absolutely fine. I don't mind doing pull downs and you know more vertical pulls. They're brilliant. I love them. I do them myself. But you've got to bear in mind that you almost can't have them in the same category as rows. The rows are the ones you need to be doing the more most of. So you could think about it as okay, do your um, do your chest work and do your lat pull downs. But now you need to be doing a lot more horizontal pulling work than you do of that work. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I think we could go on more and I, I'd love to have you on again soon, but our time is up for now. So if you would just kind of let people know where they can find you online, anything you're working on. I know that I, I believe I'm familiar with you're working on um, a core training blueprint um, to come out over the next year. So you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So um, luckily before lockdown, the UK I was commissioned by Human Kinetics, uh, which arguably one of the, the biggest fitness publishers in the world, if not the biggest fitness publisher to write a book on abdominal training um pleased to say that's all finished and completed we just got the photo shoot to do for that um but that's basically a book ram packed full of everything you need to know about you know building abs um not in the way that you know you, you traditionally see in terms of people just doing hundreds and hundreds of crunches but mm-hmm. actually how to build your abs because they're no different than any other muscle they respond the exact same way as every other muscle Mm-hmm. um and you know you need to be choosing the right exercises to stimulate those so mm-hmm. that should be out in the next kind of six months or so depending on on their timeline for that um and then at the moment on my own side of things um i've got an app my own training app that's releasing actually the the, the monday coming hopefully just putting finishing touches on that um and then besides that most of the work that i do is is online coaching um, but yeah, you can find me at the fitness maverick everywhere. So, uh, Instagram at the fitness maverick or the fitness maverick.com is my, uh, my home website really. So yeah. Awesome, check me out there. awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. It was a great conversation. I appreciate your time. Pleasure, Jake. Nice speaking with you. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you would, please take a minute out of your day to review and rate the podcast as well as subscribe. It would really help me out a lot. And if you're on Instagram, go ahead and follow me on there at jakeparker.fit and screenshot and tag me when you're listening to the show. I'll be sure to share it. And thank you personally on there.